With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. We've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where you talking about common sense? This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by ViewIn.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. It is uh, 306 now. Hey, welcome. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020. As we uh, do our first live show of the brand new decade. Is it the new decade? We were having this conversation earlier today about uh you know, about years that end in zero and that it really don't really start the new decade until you hit 1. So it would be 2021. I really don't care. To me it's a new decade. The 10s are gone. We're into the 20s now. And we celebrated like we like to do in Texas. Lots of fireworks. Good Lord. It was a um, seemingly a record-breaker night in my neighborhood. I don't know what was going on in your neighborhood. But it was like World War III here. There were missiles flying. <laughs> they were flying everywhere. Boom, 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 boom. Dogs scared to death. Scared to death. My wife saw a great posting from uh, somebody who lives in our neighborhood. It, it's kind of like a true confession. Um, she's lived here for a little while. When she moved here, she didn't have kids or pets. And she said, "When I, before I had kids and pets, I'd you know I'd I'd be one of those people knocking out the New Year's Eve fireworks for hours on end, having a good old time, making all kinds of noise. Never thought a thing of it." And now that I have children and I have pets and I see how scared how scared they are, I I really wish I hadn't done that. So for anybody whose evening I disturbed back in the day, I apologize. I apologize for having done that. You know, I don't mind the fireworks. It's the starting at 6.30 and going till 12.30 in the morning. Six hours worth. It's, how many fireworks did you all buy? They're not cheap, right? I think some of these folks here were like, you know, blowing up like hundreds of dollars worth of fireworks. And it was uh, loud. Oh, Lord, it was loud. I've never really understood. You know, it's interesting to me how... Um, Different parts of the country have different ways of celebrating. If you're from the Midwest, like I'm originally, you know, we didn't do this on New Year's Eve. We didn't. We didn't. And I'm not knocking it by a stretch of the imagination. Other than the fact that I'm not one of the, I'm, I'm rapidly becoming one of those get off my lawn kind of guys. You know, as I get a little bit older, you know, I'm not generally awake to ring in the new year because I'm pretty sure it's going to come in with or without my help. So you know, things blowing up at twelve o'clock. 
midnight <laughs> doesn't exactly, you know, doesn't exactly isn't exactly a great deal for me. And it's funny because I did a little, I did a little um, reconnaissance mission the morning after, just to make some notes to myself. I'm, I wonder which houses were the ones that were setting setting the sky on fire. I wonder which houses were the ones creating all that noise. And you could tell because those houses had had a debris field in the driveway, in the street in front of their house. You know, within a couple of doors down. You can see a couple places. There's a street um, on our street proper, the one that we're on. There was like one house across the street and two doors down that had like a garbage can full of spent fireworks. And you could barely see the cement on their driveway because it was just covered with you know plastic and the remnants of, of the ordinance, as I like to call it. That's what's left of the ordinance. It sounded like the Civil War. It might, as well, it might as well look like it, I guess. And then I thought, well, I know there's a lot more activity going on on the street behind us. So I went walking with the dog, who was <laughs> nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof, morning after all these fireworks. And I'm walking down that street, and I come like, there's like four or five houses that they where they participated. It was just Unbelievable. How much was left behind? Did you have that where you were? Did you have any of that where you were? How do you feel about New Year's Eve fireworks? Is this is this something you're in favor of? Are you glad this is something we do? I guess it's something that kind of makes us unique. I thought it was interesting that there were people who were shooting stuff off two days prior, and I even heard like a lone boom yesterday in the morning. I'm going... Where did that come from? Somebody must have said, oh, look, we forgot to blow this one up. <laughs> it just lit that one. Boom. Okay, we're done. Heaven forbid we should save it for next year. They go bad, you know. <laughs> Got to save them for next year. But what do you, by the way, whether you agree or disagree with the whole fireworks thing, Listen, I realize it's kind of what makes us uniquely Texas, and 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 I came to Texas to be a Texan. So, so if you don't want to shoot off fireworks and wake me up at midnight, that's okay. That's all right. We only do it for special occasions. It's not like we do it all the time. There is one thing, however, that we do, and we're not the only ones that do it. There's one thing that we do that makes no sense. And I'm just going to go ahead and come right out and say it. It is a very, 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 very small portion of the population. It is the moron portion of the population. What percentage of the population do you think is moron here in the U.S.? Do you think it's as high as 10% or less? We had uh, some celebratory gunfire. Now... If you want to waste perfectly good ammunition on 40 acres in the hill country, shooting the gun up in the air, knock yourself out. But I, I think your average Texan would think that's a waste of ammunition, right? Shooting it, well, you shooting it into the air for? At least shoot it at a target. Get some target practice in. That's a waste of perfectly good ammunition. It's one thing if you're out in the country and you want to do that. It's another thing 
to pick up a weapon and shoot it into the air in the city. It, it shows a lack of understanding of basic physics. And um, Constable Mark Herman, Harris County Constable, not real happy because we had a person killed and another person wounded in Harris County. More on that story coming up next. Jimmy Baird Show, AM 950 KPRC. The Jimmy Barrett Show continues on KPRC 950. So we're talking about fireworks and celebratory gunfire, uh, 319, here on uh, AM 950 KPRC. If you want to weigh in on the topic, 713-212-5950. That's 713-212-5950. Got a lot of Facebook friends weighing in on this. Well, Happy New Year to all y'all, by the way. Uh, Jennifer says fireworks are very expensive. Chris Little, do you used to sell fireworks at a fireworks stand? He says the markup, what would you say, like 1,500%? So, wow. So what would what would you guess, Chris Little, would be the average when a family would come in and buy some fireworks to set off for like New Year's Eve or the 4th of July? What would you say the average purchase amount was if you had to pick an average? 250 bucks? Really? Oh, two. Two fifty. Real people would come in and buy thousands. You're blowing up money. <laughs> it's like, hey, here's a hundred dollar bill. Set that on fire. See which lasts longer. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that though? Because I, I got as I oftentimes do, I, I got curious about this, so I, I found a story. Of course, this is based on the Fourth of July. Um, that talks about it, it's data put together by the U.S. Trade Census of how much different states' residents spent per capita on fireworks. Missouri was far and away number one. They spent $42.3 million in 2018 on fireworks. That's an average of $6.94 per person. So I'm thinking, we got to be way up there, right? Turned out we weren't. In Texas, hang on, let me get to it. Texas, total imports 17158599 but per capita it was only 61 cents per capita. So I'm guessing it's, uh, you know, I think part of that, part of that might be, again, you know, we, we are a transient state. We have a lot of folks who come in from other parts of the country to call Texas home. And they don't have a tradition of doing fireworks for Christmas outside of maybe going to watch what a what sort of a display a big city might have. Uh, they don't do their own, so they're not they're not the ones that are out there spending the hundreds or maybe a thousand dollars on on fireworks. Can I get sparklers? I remember sparklers when I was a kid. Did you do sparklers? Sparklers got outlawed in a lot of places. You know, they're they're the, um, you know, I'm trying to think how do you describe for somebody who's never seen a sparkler. You know, I'm talking about the old, like the metal rod, and on the metal rod it had a coating, and you would light the end of it on fire, and it would, you know, and it would just kind of, yay, make a little light. You'd write words in the, in the dark, and, you know, you'd, 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 you'd let it get down right to the point where it's about ready to burn your finger off, and then you'd, you drop it, and then somebody who's out there barefoot steps on it. Yeah! Which I guess is the reason why they banned them in so many places. 
is improper usage or lack of parental supervision uh, means that kids would get burned and they end up in the emergency room. And well, these are dangerous. Do you know how hot a sparkler gets? It gets to like 10 billion degrees. Well, not 10 billion degrees, but it does get hot. It gets hot enough to burn you. Man, I think when I, when I was a little kid, 4th of July, we would have the most politically incorrect way of celebrating the holiday. We'd have, we'd have our own, we'd have sparklers. We'd have, um, what's the name of those like little worm things? You light them in the, and they kind of, they, they look like a snake kind of a thing. And then they kind of dissolve into nothing and noisemakers and bottle rockets. I think bottle rockets were one of the first things that end up getting banned uh, because of their inherent danger. You'll put somebody's eye out with that thing. And um, we used to do all that kind of stuff. And we used to, the old man would set up a grill, charcoal, <laughs> charcoal grill in the backyard that probably got started not with lighter fluid, but with gasoline. <laughs> Throw the match on from about you know, five feet away. <laughs> it would send up a big old plume of flame up into the sky and, if you're standing too close, your eye, eyebrows were gone. <laughs> oh, nobody would ever call the cops back then. That'd be child abuse now, wouldn't it? Gosh, yeah, man. I think of all the things my parents did. They would they in twenty twenty they'd be they'd be up on child abuse charges. I'm pretty sure. But the one thing I they started to mention this. The one thing. You know, we can we can have a, a debate about uh, fireworks and how late you should be firing them off and how you're scaring everybody's pets and and traumatizing everybody's kids and and you, you know you're doing it at, at one o'clock in the morning. Y'all need to go to bed. We can we can have that conversation. But one thing I think is very easier to 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 say to one another is picking up a gun and going outside in an urban environment, raising your gun to the sky and firing it into the sky is not a good idea. 61-year-old Houstonary woman is dead because a bullet just randomly came out of the sky, hit her in the neck, and killed her. Another guy got wounded. He ended up with a bullet wound in the wrist. Near as they can tell, Weapon was not fired from any close proximity. Here is Harris County Constable Mark Herman. This happened on New Year's Eve. Here we are, you know, New Year's Day. We have a family waking up this morning without the uh, matriarch of their family. Uh, you know, a little bit after midnight last night, the family stepped out to celebrate. And I think a few minutes after being outside, uh, you know, 61-year-old female was struck in the neck by what we feel is celebratory gunfire. Uh, there was nothing on the location or on the street that indicated anyone out there was shooting weapons. And uh, so, you know, again, uh, we have a family in mourning this morning. At the end of the day, we have people out there making bad choices. Uh, you try to educate folks as much as you can, and they still make these bad choices, you know, if, in fact, this was celebratory gunfire. It's more than a bad choice. It's moronic. It's stupid. It is absolutely stupid. Like I said, what percentage of the population is morons? By the way, my listeners agree probably about 10%. It's a good guess. 
one out of every ten would be a moron. It's a handful of people who do this. And maybe they come from a culture where that's relatively normal. I don't know. Could be. But it's not normal here. You can't take a gun in a metro area with six and a half million people it, in, and in a relatively population-dense area, put your gun up, shoot it, and assume that that bullet is going to land somewhere where it's not going to hurt something or somebody. Quite the opposite. Near as they could tell, by the way, the weapon was not fired from anywhere close to where the where it ultimately ended up landing. I mean, this thing could have traveled several miles. Trying to figure out they've got they've got the bullet itself. So maybe they can get something from that if they have a if they have something if they find a suspect and make an arrest and they have a weapon that they can do a ballistics test on, then then maybe they can prove that that was the person who fired off the celebratory gunfire. But it is extremely rare, incredibly rare, that they ever forgot who actually did this. Chances of them finding the person responsible, slim and none, quite honestly. So family loses 61-year-old member of their family, and the likelihood of them being able to figure out who's responsible for that very, very slim. 328, here's my number if you want to call on in. 713 713-212-5950. 713-212-5950. Happy New Year. Jimmy Baird Show here on AM 950 KPRC. Back to the Jimmy Baird Show on KPRC 950. <laughs> I don't know if this woman's a moron or not. It might be a drug. She might be a, a drug-induced moron. I mean, there's a there's natural morons, and then there's drug-induced morons, or alcohol-induced morons. Can you drink yourself stupid? I'm pretty sure you can. Can you use drugs to the point of stupidity? Yeah, I think you could do that too. A Kentucky woman failed her drug test. Well, she knew she would. She's 40 years old. She's on probation. Part of part of her probation agreement is that she has to stay off the meth, which evidently she's having a hard time doing. So she knew she had to go in for her probation visit, and she knew that as part of that probation visit, she was going to have to submit a urine sample and have the drug test. We need to know if you're on the meth. So she goes in, you know, she gives them the urine sample, and they test the urine sample. Uh, Excuse me, Miss Miller. Is there a reason why you have an unusually high level of heart guard? You don't have heartworm, do you? There seems to be some flea and tick residue here. Yeah, she took in the dog's here. I, you know, I, I would, it's good to know. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That, um, you know, they're just not, they're, they're, I'm guessing somebody's tried to run this scam before, right? Where they try to pass off somebody else's urine as somebody else's, you know, even if it's human urine, for example, like a woman, I, I'm, I'm assuming, can you tell from a urine sample if it's, if it's a male or female? I would, if you, I guess it depends, right? If you're testing for testosterone levels, that kind of stuff. Can you get, can you get a testosterone level out of urine? I know you can out of blood. I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm trying to figure this out. You know, how, how did they know it came from a dog? But, um, she, now she gets to face these, the following charges, drug trafficking and evidence tampering. Yeah. Again, I could show, I could put this up to the, the camera. I'm not sur- sure if you could, for those who are watching on Facebook, it's kind of hard to tell. You can't you can't tell how messed up she is out of that bug shot unless you can see it up close. But I can't think of anything that you can use to try to get high that is going to mess up your looks more than methamphetamine. Wouldn't you I realize that for a lot of people, especially rural people, it's the drug of choice because, you know, you can just get a whole bunch of drugstore stuff and weird ingredients and for relatively inexpensively put it together into methamphetamine. But, you know, you would like to think that a non-moron would take a look at the list of ingredients and say, yeah, no, I, I, think, um, I think I'll pass on getting high today. Plus, they, they don't have a dental plan for people on methamphetamine. They really need one. I can't think of a group of people that needs a dental plan more than methamphetamine users. Plastic surgeons? I mean, it, good Lord. It is amazing what it does. Usually what you do is you see a picture. First of all, this woman has just turned 40. She looks like she's 60. I would think basic human vanity would kick in and say, you know, I really don't want to look 20 years older than what I am. I I really don't want to look like somebody punched me in both my eyes. I really don't want my teeth crumbling out of my mouth looking like like broken chiclets. This is not a good look. I I should not go for this. I should find something else. Maybe some demon rum. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't pretend to get that. I don't pretend to get that. Did you see that, uh, speaking of drugs, Nick Gordon has died. Now, for those who are saying, hang on, where do I know that name from? Nick Gordon, where do I know that name from? Do you remember how Whitney Houston died? In the bathtub. Drug overdose. Under, 
I think what people thought at the time were kind of suspicious circumstances. And then um, Whitney Houston's daughter, Bobby Christina Brown, died the same way. And people kind of went, oh, what's the common denominator here? The common denominator was Nick Gordon. Nick Gordon was taken in by Whitney Houston when he was about 12 years old, kind of raised like a son. Um, After Whitney Houston died, Nick Gordon took up with Bobby Christina. They became boyfriend-girlfriend, which is a little weird. I guess I can only say so much about that because, after all, they're they're not blood-related, so it's not like they're real brothers and sisters, but still, that's a little weird. And um, he never faced any criminal charges. The fact You could tell the family thought that he was responsible, especially for Bobby Christina's death. And you just got you just got the underlying impression that there's something really, really wrong going on there. As as far as as far as what kind of person he was, and you know, I I got the you know, there's so much reading between the lines he had to do in that story where I just kinda got that feeling that he was abusive. He he was probably just an abusive person. And and I can't, you know. Lord knows Whitney Houston had her fair share of demons. And I don't know if he had anything to do with her demise, but I, you know, the fact that the daughter died exactly the same way makes it all very suspect. He died of a drug overdose himself on New Year's Day. So I think, I think, and I do believe in karma, I think that karma kind of caught up with Nick Gordon. You know, I'm so grateful that I am not a drug-addicted individual. I drink a little too much wine sometimes. But I, I, thank, I thank the good Lord I had enough sense not to get involved with any of these really, really hard drugs. Because if you're the kind of person who loses a mother figure to a drug overdose, a girlfriend slash fiance to a drug overdose and then you yourself die of a drug overdose you would think the other two events would be enough to scare you straight right assuming assuming they were accidental and had nothing to do with him personally and even if they did wouldn't you think watching other people die under those circumstances would be enough to get you off that stuff do you get you seeking professional help? Power, addiction is a powerful, powerful thing. I saw a story today, and I had such mixed emotions about talking about it. Because on one hand, it's a bit of a redemption story, but on the other hand, it it's... Well, uh, you've probably heard this story. There's this thing going on, like the 2020 tip challenge. You heard this? Where and all these celebrities and, and people who have you know a fair amount of money are tipping individuals two thousand twenty dollars for twenty twenty, and in the hope of you know having a very positive impact on their lives. And there's this waitress in Alpena, Michigan, which is um, 
It's in the lower peninsula, but it's up north quite a ways. Not a huge high population. A woman who's a waitress at a restaurant there got a tip for $2,020 from a couple who she waits on on a fairly frequent basis. Evidently, they're regulars. And she posted a video on YouTube where she talked about the experience, how it's changing her life and, and how grateful she is. And then you see her background, and it turns out that she moved from Detroit to Alpena. She just She's recently got out of rehab. She's trying to lead a sober life. She's trying to change her life around. She's surviving on waitress tips. She has kids. She's surviving on waitress tips. So she is, as you can imagine, hugely grateful for what this couple did for them. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's the kind of story you want to feel good about. And you say, wow, that's awesome. This is maybe going to have a huge impact on her life and, and change her life in so many ways. $2,000 to her is like a ton of money. It's probably as close to economic you know, an economic safety net as anything that she's seen in a long, long time. Then you come to find out she's a single mom with three children and a fourth on the way. And I'm doing the math, okay. I'm not sure how long ago she got out of rehab or when she got pregnant. But how... How do you set about having four children as a single individual, single woman, and the only thing you have to support them on is basically wages you get as a waitress? That yeah, I want to. I want to. I'm celebrating the fact that she's working on her sobriety, but not, there's clearly some other things in her life she needs to work on as far as responsibility. It's a responsible behavior, responsibility, as far as that goes. All right. Back with more in a moment. 713-212-5950. Jimmy Baird Show on AM 950 KPRC. For Houston, from Houston, this is the Jimmy Barrett Show on KPRC 950. 3.48 uh, our time here on AM 950 KPRC. You know, you've heard debates, right, about the, the minimum wage and how much it should be, and um, we demand $15 an hour to flip burgers and make fries. We deserve that kind of respect. Okay. So, how does it work? Is it, um, how is it, how is it benefiting the employees? Um, how is it impacting the businesses? And how is it impacting the customers? You know, most places don't have a $15 an hour minimum wage. But places that do, we now have some data that gives us some idea. Seattle, Seattle, Washington, raised the minimum uh, wage to 15 bucks. Actually, they started phasing it in in 2014, five years ago. And Dick's Drive-In, here's Dick's Drive-In is a burger. It's a it's a burger place. They found uh, once they raised the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, it had an interesting impact on their workers. Jasmine Donovan is the president of 
Dick's Drive-In. Jasmine said, quote, we thought with higher wages it would be easier to get people to take more hours, but it's been the opposite. Interesting. So in, in her case, people who work at her drive-in evidently were relatively happy with the amount of money they were bringing home. So when they got the raise, rather than bring home more money, many of them opted to work less hours. <laughs> Which created issues for the drive-in because now they got to find more people to fill hours, which adds to their cost, which added to the cost of the food. Well, you knew that was going to happen anyway. She said the companies had to raise prices for the first time in their history, be- not the first time they've ever raised prices, I'm sure the first time in their history, but it's the first time in the history of that drive-in that they've had to raise the prices to cover the cost of labor. In the past, it was always the cost of food that drove the price likes on the menu. Now it's the price of labor. Again, they've had to hire more people in order to be able to fill the same amount of hours. Seattle's law gradually increases its minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2021, so they're not quite there yet. They started at just over 9 bucks an hour in 2014. The federal law is currently seven twenty-five an hour, and it has not been increased in over ten years. But I find that very interesting. Here's what else this story says about the impact of fifteen dollars an hour, or at least the move towards that. Overall implications for businesses and workers alike have been nuanced. While there are some benefits for workers who saw higher pay, others have seen fewer hours. Some businesses flourished, while others struggled in the face of greater regulation and intense competition in the city's hot economy. Studies of the effect of the Seattle wage hike have had different findings. A 2017 University of Washington study found that while wages went up, hours worked declined, resulting in less pay for low-wage workers. See, that's the other thing, is employers themselves, because their bottom line is their bottom line, If they have to pay you more per hour, they may give you less hours so that they aren't paying out more money. Wasn't the case for everybody, though, evidently. Some experienced workers in low-wage jobs saw their earnings rise. Well, yeah, the ones that are ambitious and and want to work and are working somewhere where they've got to have these hours filled, they're going to see a benefit from this. Another from the researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, released in 2018, found that the wage hikes increased pay and have not led to job losses. Well, I would expect Berkeley to find that. The Berkeley and Washington studies measured different groups of workers with varying different results. (laughs) Well, I'm sure, you know, UC Berkeley wanted this study to turn out a certain way. So they're going to use a different set of data on all this. Mixed results for businesses, too. For most of them, it became a little bit more expensive to do business, and therefore they had to raise their prices. Therefore, the consumers pay more. 
But when prices go up, it's always been part of, uh, you know, part of my opinion when it comes to minimum wage that um, when you raise it too high, especially given the skill level of the work involved, that it just leads to inflation of the product. And inflation of the product is going to hurt somebody who's a lower wage earner far more than it's going to hurt somebody who's not. So even though you may be making $15 an hour, if the price of the product goes up, and as a minimum wage worker, you have to pay more for the product, have you really gotten ahead? You might have gotten ahead in your mind. It's probably good for self-esteem, I'm guessing. Some workers reported feeling like they were you know, a little more appreciated. Well, now I know you love me. You're paying me $15 an hour. <laughs> well, not exactly. The city made it, a, made it a law. They don't necessarily love you anymore. They're just required by law to pay you more. Uh, the other part of this study that really doesn't get addressed is what's been going on with the economy in general. Are the higher wages due to uh, a hot economy and more competition for workers or because of the pay raise? And one can make a case that um, as a lot of these businesses are paying more than $15 an hour because they need it to attract workers, that the real driver of wages is 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 the product itself in, in a hot economy. And by the way, speaking of hot economy, Goldman Sachs, you know, you know who they are, right? Goldman Sachs now saying our economy is nearly recession-proof. Hang on, CNBC reported this? you got to be kidding me. I thought they were only interested in reporting negative stuff. Uh, here's what the story says. Just months after almost everyone on Wall Street worried that a recession was just around the corner. Goldman Sachs says a downturn unlikely over the next several years. In fact, Goldman Sachs economists stopped just short of saying that the U.S. economy is recession-proof. An analysis Goldman conducted of the current potential risk to growth showed that they are mostly muted. The report found that the pillars of the great moderation that began in the 1980s, low levels of volatility marked by sustainable growth, and muted inflation interrupted only by the financial crisis more than a decade ago are still standing. It says investors could be excused for getting a little nervous over such calls as optimism also was heavy in late 2007, just as the economy was going to enter one of the worst of the financial crisis. Overall, the changes underlying the great moderation appear intact, and we see the economy as structurally less recession-prone today. That sounds like economist talk. They said, while new risk could emerge, none of the main sources of recent recessions, oil shocks, inflationary overheating, and financial imbalances seem too concerning for now. As a result, the prospects for a soft landing look better than widely thought. How about that? So you read between the lines a little bit, and they're basically saying the economy is in good shape, and we don't. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't see. We think it's about as close to recession proof as you can get. At least for the next couple of years. That's got to be driving some some people crazy in the mainstream. Got to be driving them crazy. They are counting on a bad economy. Impeachment and a bad economy are the two things they are really counting on for 2020. And at least one of those things doesn't look like it's going to happen. And you know what? I'm not so sure the other thing's going to happen either. The whole impeachment thing? We'll have more on that coming up in hour number two. Stand by for more. Jimmy Beard Show. AM 950 KPRC. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. We've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. Where are you talking about common sense? This is the Jimmy Barrett Show, brought to you by Viewin.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. Hey, 406, hour number two on this uh, day after the new year, January the 2nd, 2020. I can't, I hear 2020, I can't help but think of Barbara Walters. Remember all the Barbara Walters thing? Remember the show 2020? I remember that show way back in the day. Um... We have a guest coming up at 4.32. State Senator Paul Betancourt will join us. Did you get your uh, property tax bill? I got mine. Um, I didn't really... I'd have to do some research, I guess, uh, to take a look at what the bill was this year versus what the bill was last year. It's still pretty doggone high. Compared to what I'm used to paying, but but it is lower than it was. So at least we're we seem to be trending in the right direction here. You know, this is the this last tax bill you got. Um, this news tax bill. It showing a little relief thanks to Senate Bill Two, House Bill Three, and House Bill Eight Sixty One. Senator Betancourt is chairman of the Senate Committee on Property Tax. So he was nice enough to be on the morning show today in KTRH. And um, we're going to have him here at 432 just to kind of outline what the changes are. Not only now, but going forward. I think the biggest thing is not so much, you know, because I think the average average family here in Texas is going to save a couple hundred bucks a year, which is, you know, I never want to. I never want to poo poo getting back a couple hundred taxpayer dollars because anytime you get tax money back, it's a it's a good thing. But I think a bigger impact is going to be that there's going to have to be votes involving you and me in the future. Somebody wants to raise your property taxes more than a certain amount. Doggone it! There's going to have to be a vote, which is the way it ought to be. So that's a good thing. It's certainly the most meaningful property tax reform we've seen in Texas in a long, long time, maybe ever. So that's a good thing. And it's easy, it's easy to um, 
to have everything get carried away here on the property tax because that, that's our main income here in the state. We don't have a state income tax, uh, but we do have, do have a relatively high property tax rate. I guess not as high as they have in the Northeast, but uh, where they also have an income tax, but still still pretty expensive. Uh, but here we are. It's 2020. It's January the 2nd. We've, uh, we're all kind of wondering, I'm sure. It's the very beginning of the year. You kind of wonder what kind of year it's going to be, what's going to happen. You know, it's it's that kind of the year where time of the year where everybody starts to make their predictions. Well, here's what I think will happen this next year. And by the way, we'll be going over some of those political predictions tomorrow morning on KTRH, what they had predicted uh, for 2019. <laughs> Boy, were they off! So it's not like it's not like anybody making predictions is particularly good at it. But they had some I think they had some fun on Fox on the five, including Dana Perino, who led things off and what she predicts. She was the most bold predictor, by the way, and what she thinks will happen in the year 2020. Here's what she said. I predict that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will announce that they are having a second baby and are moving to North America. Oh, OK. Canada? It could be Canada. <laughs> it could be California. I don't know yet. Whoa. The second one is that 2020 will be the highest voter turnout since 1960, which was the highest in the last hundred years. It was at 62.8 percent in 1960. Trump is going to have the dirtiest social media campaign you've ever seen. The only way he can win in 2020 requires him to absolutely smear his opponent because Trump's just not that popular. He never hit 50 percent in approval rating. Rasmussen. Never. Genetic privacy <laughs> concerns will severely hamstring law enforcement's use of genetic forensics to solve cold cases and criminal justice will be screwed. Trump is going to win re-election. I'm also predicting Juan will apologize to me for being so <laughs> wrong on so many things. <laughs> Not going to happen. And Juan was wrong, by the way. Rasmussen, he did. You hear Rasmussen. He hit 50% on Rasmussen. He's never so better than Obama's was. Certainly every bit is good. You know, they try to make it sound like he is unpopular. Unpopular compared to who? <laughs> Not unpopular compared to his predecessor, just unpopular with a different set of people. Um, yes, he's unpopular with liberals. Certainly he is. Just like Obama was unpopular with conservatives. I mean, you know, come on. That's how it works in politics. You, the one side likes you, the other side doesn't. You know, your problem is not when one side likes you and the other side doesn't. Your problem is when neither side likes you. Then, then you've got a, Then you've really got a problem. I'm trying to think if if there's something that's kind of like on my prediction radar. I've been thinking a lot about the uh, the whole Senate impeachment thing. I'm 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 about fifty fifty. I'm a coin flip right now over whether there is going to be any sort of a trial in the Senate. I'm a coin flip on that one. Because I think it's in the best interest of Democrats for there not to be a trial. The reason why Nancy Pelosi has not sent over the articles of impeachment is she knows that it's very dangerous for them to have a trial. Unless they can conjure up some new evidence and force Mitch McConnell 
because he does have a tendency to cave sometimes, force Mitch McConnell to allow witnesses with new testimony, then there's no point in having it. For Democrats, there's no point in having a trial. None whatsoever. More, more coming up. Some more thoughts on that. Rudy Giuliani, by the way, <laughs> he made an offer yesterday. Interesting offer that he made. We'll share that with you as well. More audio coming up. Here's the number if you want to participate. Or if you want to make a prediction, I'll take your prediction. 713-212-5950. 713-212-5950. Back in a moment. Jimmy Baird Show. AM 950 KPRC. Read about it later? How about we talk about it now? The Jimmy Barrett Show continues on KPRC 950. State Senator Paul Bettencourt coming up here at uh, 432 about lowering your property tax bill. You know what drives me crazy about that? Is is all the big bills that come due at the end of the year. My uh, HOA bill, uh, property tax bill, car insurance bill. It's like all... You know, you're paying for Christmas then of all these annual premiums they all come due around the same time. Driving me crazy. All right. Um let's get back on the uh prediction train. I, I was saying I think it's a coin flip. I'm about ready to predict there will be no Senate trial. Because it's better off for the Democrats, I think, at this point, if it isn't. It's better off if they can if they can portray this as, well, we impeached him. And we couldn't get the Senate to do the right thing, so it's on them. And we'll we'll keep we'll keep gathering evidence and we'll impeach him again. I think that's what is what they would consider to be in their own best interest. Rudy Giuliani, on the other hand, he would love, love, love there to be a Senate trial. He would love, love, love to testify. And he would love, love, love to do more than just testify. He'd like to try the case. Here's Rudy. Would you testify in the trials? I would testify. I would... um... Do demonstrations, I'd give lectures, I'd give summations, or I do what I do best, I try the case. I'd love to try the case. Would you, you be going back to you? Are you going to? Or are you telling us? You well, I don't know case? if anybody would have the courage to give me the case, but uh, if you give me the case, I will prosecute it as a racketeering case, which I kind of invented anyway. So it's been 30 years ago, but let's see if I can still do it. Yeah, hey, it's been over thirty years, but I'll take a pass at it. I don't think I don't think they want Rudy Giuliani trying the case. Be a little shocked if they did anyway. I think Rudy would love it. I think he would love the spotlight. I think he loves the spotlight. Period. Most of those guys do. <laughs> but that doesn't strike me as a particularly good idea. In the meantime, um, I will I will give I will give. Houston Congressman Al Green, all the credit in the world for being bluntly honest about at least one thing. And that is how long this impeachment thing has been in the works, how long that this has been going on. 
he was on MSNBC. He was talking to one of their hosts, Chris Hayes. And Chris Hayes basically outlines it. He says, you know, here's what you've been accu- you guys are accused of. You're accused of, of a winch hunt. You're accused of coming up with an impeachment charge and then trying to build a case after the impeachment charge to prove impeachment that you never really had to begin with. That's what you're accused of. So what do you have to say to that, Al Green? Let, let, let me, let me Chris, let Chris go ahead and ask the question the way he asked it, and we'll listen to what Al Green has to say. You just mentioned uh, political expediency and insincerity, which those are two charges that have been leveled against Democrats during this entire uh, affair, particularly since September when the formal impeachment increase started. And you you play a starring role in those charges. I mean, the argument goes like this of of House Republicans and Trump and his allies, the president and his allies, is basically the Democrats wanted to impeach Donald Trump from day one. They cast about looking for a set of facts that they could plausibly use to do it. And all of it was pretextual and reverse engineered to get to this point. Exhibit one, Congressman Al Green, who's been calling for the man's impeachment uh, for, for two years now. What's your response to that charge? Well, the genesis of impeachment, to be very candid with you, was um, when the, the president was running for office. <laughs> what? Yeah, how's that for a confession? Yeah, well, you know, the truth, this goes back to when he was running for office. What, I, what the follow-up question I would have asked would have been, though, uh, does this go back to when he, after, is this after he got the nomination? Or is this before he got the nomination? Just in case. I'm assuming it's after he got the nomination or once they knew he was going to get the nomination. But that's how long impeachment has been in the works. They knew that that's what they were going to do is they were going to go the impeachment route. So they start right away trying to gather impeachable evidence from somewhere, somehow. Here's the general parameters under which this man could be impeached. Now we need to go out and find a case in order to be able to make this happen. That is fundamentally different than any way anything like this has ever been done before. Any other president who's faced impeachment faced specific charges based on actual behavior after they had already engaged in that behavior. Remember remember Rod Blagojevich, former governor of Illinois, who's in prison for corruption? And maybe he said this because maybe he's hoping that he can get a pardon from the President of the United States. But Blagojevich, I'm not even sure under what context they asked, well, I guess they asked him because of his background, was asked what he thought of the impeachment of President Trump. And he basically said that this group of Democrats would have impeached Abraham Lincoln under the same circumstances. They would have impeached Abraham Lincoln because he's a Republican and they don't like him. And I guess, you know, you know, truth be told, when it comes to history, I could, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't try. Democrats didn't try to impeach him after the Emancipation Proclamation. There was nobody more opposed, historically speaking, there was nobody more opposed than Northern Democrats 
to the Emancipation Proclamation. If you ever saw the movie Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis, you could see just how anti-black those Democrats were. They didn't want those people freed. They didn't want those people to ever get the right to vote. They didn't want the they didn't want African Americans to be considered full Americans. They weren't fighting a war based on freeing slaves. Not at all. They would have been much happier keeping the country together and keeping slavery intact. Yet over the course of time, they have become the party of choice for African Americans. Who probably, in fairness, probably, you know, you, they don't spend a lot of time talking about that in school. They talk about Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves and the Emancipation Proclamation, but they don't, they don't talk about the opposition in very specific terms. I know I never learned that. And I was in school a long time ago when they actually tried to teach history. They, they never talked about that aspect of it. You know, they kept it real simple. Yes, Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves. Boop. That's about as, that's about as in-depth as they ever got with any of that, even when I was in school. I'm sure uh, they spend even less time dealing with that now. How much time do you suppose the average school kid spends learning about the Civil War? Not a whole heck of a lot, I'm not guessing. Not a whole heck of a lot. All right, um... A little bit of a Christmas present, I guess. And that is a slightly lower property tax bill. And maybe some more measures coming out in the future. State Senator Paul Betancourt, he's the guy that led the charge on property tax reform. He's going to be joining us coming up here at 432. And we'll talk a little bit about it, not just about uh, how much money your average Texan is going to see on a lower property tax bill, how many... I think it's like a couple, two to three hundred dollars on average. Of course, it all depends on how big your property tax bill was to begin with. But there is some genuine relief there and some rules changes that will make it tougher in the future for you to have to pay more. Back with more in a moment with Senator Betancourt here on AM 950 KPRC and the Jimmy Barrett Show. The Jimmy Barrett Show continues, continues. on KPRC 950. 432 now here at AM 950 KPRC. A little present from the state of Texas. Yep, they're going to give you some of your tax money back. I know, that hardly ever happens. The government gives you tax money back, but this year you're getting some money back in the form of a lower property tax bill. Did you open up your tax bill? Did you notice this? A lot of folks probably don't necessarily notice right away just because it's it, the, the property taxes get escrowed. They get paid out of the escrow account, so they go, okay, there's the tax bill. As long as the, as long as it's, you know, the bank's getting paying this out for me, I'm going to be good. But our next guest wants you to know he worked real hard on saving you some money, so doggone it, you better realize you're going to save some money. State Senator Paul Betancourt joins us. What's the average, Senator Betancourt? Well, uh, Jimmy, it's about uh, $250, actually, for the average home down in Houston. Uh, when you look at what's coming back to you on your tax bill, 
And you mentioned it, and you're right. All you got to do is flip over the backside, and you can... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can see there's a reduction in the property tax rate for school districts. And that's just the first of what will be hopefully many that as values go up, the taxing units will have to start dropping their tax rates because that's really been what's been driving people out of their homes or their businesses is as as property values increase, tax rates never came down and people were getting taxed out of their home or, or, or their or their business. How how much pushback did you all get from uh, school systems and from uh, city government on these kinds of proposals? I'm guessing I, I tell you that Jim Jimmy, the pushback was astounding from uh, the Tech Association of Counties and the Texas Municipal League. We've been, I've been trying to do this for four years. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick's been on this, you know, too. And this is the first time in 38 years that the, that the rollback rate, the rate at which last year's taxes triggers an election has been changed literally since, uh, in almost 40 years. And the good news is that if they come back and want more like the county did this year, uh, the, the, the new uh, county judge who was, is way out there on spending, in my opinion, basically tried to pop a 12% increase on the average home. Well, if they do that this year, they're going to actually have to go to the voters in November and get approval. Um, so th- these are big changes in the property tax system. Yeah, there was a, as you know, there was um, the need to almost perform a coup-like measure <laughs> in some in some of these uh, uh, county governments because of these attempts to kind of push through these last-second tax increases before the new law went into effect. So we had we had commissioners who weren't showing up and for meetings because they they realized that they couldn't vote without the quorum, and if they they didn't have enough votes in order to prevent them from raising the property tax rate. So they just, in some cases, they headed out of town. No, and it was the right thing to do. In, in, in Harris County, that's Commissioners Cagle and Raddick just walked because the law says you have to have four commissioners to vote on a tax rate. And and, to me, this, the, and the other side of this case, which is Judge Hildago and Commissioners uh, Garcia and, and Ellis, they weren't even saying that they had a had a script for the money. They just wanted the money. Okay, now this just didn't happen in Houston. There was fights, you know, that like this in Lubbock. They were in fights in Galveston County, uh, Travis County, you name it, Dallas, Fort Worth, because. And especially like in El Paso, they just did it the old-fashioned way. They just turned up the tax rate ten pennies and said, "Bang, we've got it." And it, it, and, and really, it's important for taxpayers to know that that when it happens next year or this year, that they'll actually get a chance to vote on in November. So they they should be happy people were fighting for them. Uh, you know, the year the first year of this law came out. I remember the Judge Hildago at the time. She had some sort of a really generic excuse of, well, you know. People keep moving here to Houston. We have to provide services. We need this extra money for services. And you're right. She never really got specific as to what the services were that she needed. She just needed more money. 
Right. And look, I mean, her initial, you know, quote was, well, if they're going to pay 20, then they should pay, you know, 30 more. But the actual number was 130 more, which would have wiped out, you know, half of the state driven tax, you know, decrease. And look, you know, she she comes from the AOC socialist wing of the Democratic Party. So she was very straightforward and wanting the money. But fortunately, that didn't happen because now to get that type of money again, they they literally are going to have to go to the the public and ask for it, which is one of the big, big changes that I've been advocating along with, you know, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, 18 other Republican senators. And then at the end, we did have a couple uh, Democrats also come over and support the bill because, look, people just can't afford their taxes going up, Jimmy, you know. 10, 11, 12 percent a year because they don't make that much more in raises every year. And and we are putting tremendous pressure on homeowners and business owners as a result. I agree. Couldn't agree with you more. I'm glad we're taking those at least those first initial steps. Of course, there's there's two components here is, is it involves what you pay in property taxes. There's the property tax rate, which is what you lowered, and then there is the assessed value of the home. Uh, certainly, we're seeing home values go up all across Texas, correct? On average, how much has that been impacting property taxes? Oh, by a huge amount. The, um, you know, my my joke line about all this after being in the you know field for three or four years is that the state bird of Texas is no longer the mockingbird; it's the construction crane. <laughs> and you know, you can see that just driving around town, and wherever there's new construction, that boosts values. Now, you know, because it takes two-thirds majorities up in the legislature to do anything uh, like a Proposition 13 in California, I've been focused on this this one rule that would allow by majority vote to change the levy and how much the levies could go up. Because really what you pay is the value of your home or your business times the tax rates, and that's called a levy. So really what we're doing is restricting levies. And I tell you, for school taxes, it's substantial because this coming year, the the school the local property taxpayers won't kick in more than two and a half percent more than the state kicks in above that, and that's because we've been basically uh, been been balancing the state budget on Robin Hood for a few billion a year, and we're t- finally recognizing that and pulling back from that, which is taking the pressure off of local property taxpayers too. Certainly, Senator, the lion's share of what we all pay in taxes are, are the school taxes. That's the biggest chunk. And uh, for senior citizens who probably have not had a kid going to uh, Texas public school in maybe 30 or 40 years, has there been any consideration about rolling back the uh, the school property tax rate for those seniors? Well, they do have a freeze right now, right. which is which is at least, uh, you know, gets them to neutral. Now, the problem with an over-65 homeowner is they could live in northwest Harris County and have a MUD that taxes them at even a higher rate than the school district. And so when you look at this, there's about 500 taxing jurisdictions in Harris County alone that could do a tax. But, but and you know, and, and the several a couple dozen school districts freeze it. There's a couple dozen cities that are doing that. Um, I think uh, Montgomery County also freezes their taxes uh, at that point. But um, it, when you, the, why it was important to do both, Jimmy, is here's why. Because 
if we just did school finance reform or did cities and counties and, and, and slowed them down, what happened would be the same thing that happened last decade when the taxes were bought down substantially and then cities, counties, and special districts just absorbed the increases. They just, you know, jumped in there and, 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 and really took the money. So the fact that we're doing it at one time, both cities and county property tax relief, as well as school taxes, hadn't been done anywhere in the U.S. that we know. We, you know, it took us 38 years to get it done right, but at least we did it at the right time where we actually did school tax relief at the same time that the counties and cities were put under lower guidelines of, uh, of increases. Um, state legislature is obviously out. You, when is it you reconvene again? I'm still getting used to my Texas politics here. <laughs> well, Jimmy, the good news is we don't reconvene every year. Okay. I know. Because, I love that. Uh, <laughs> no, I do. Because, look, <laughs> you know, as a citizen legislator, I can go up there and fight off special interests. But if we were doing it every 24-7, there'd be no way to stop them. Well, um, they don't pay enough to work 24-7, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, and there's only X number of conservatives either that are, are you know, that uh, like the Texas Senate that would stop big government growth anyway. Um, so so we're, we're not back until 2021. But but we did pass some other really interesting things that happened that have, have changed here in the last you know week or two. Um, one of the, the, the better bills was uh, Senate Bill 535, which was a the reconfirmation that if uh, that churches uh, could decide whether to have concealed carry, open carry, and that made a huge difference up at uh, the yeah, Texas did. Freeway Church up in White Settlement. Yeah, it did. It made a huge difference indeed. That guy's a hero for sure, Senator. I do appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much. You may not you may not be paid to work twenty four seven, and you're not you're not in session right now. But we sure appreciate you taking the time to talk to your constituents who listen to AM 950 KPRC. No, we appreciate it, Jimmy, because you hear the details of this on talk radio. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't get to hear it anywhere else, so I appreciate the time. Glad to do it. Glad to have you on, sir. State Senator Paul Bettencourt joining us here on AM 950 KPRC. Back to the Jimmy Barrett Show on KPRC 950. Even when a hero stands up and saves a church full of people, there are still people on the left who will say how scary that is, that there are people going to church with weapons. USA Today published an opinion piece yesterday arguing that it's, quote, terrifying that some Texas churchgoers were armed when Jack Wilson jumped into action and killed that potential mass shooter before he could shoot anybody else. Jack Wilson is a firearms instructor. He does that for a living. He's a volunteer member of the church's security team. 
There's no reason to do anything but praise him for what he did. But Arizona Republic columnist Elvia Diaz says there's some problems with this situation. The piece is titled, Armed, Even in Church, Texas Shooting is About a Lot More Than Jack Wilson's Heroism. Really? By the way, it was published with the disclaimer that it's the view of the authors and does not necessarily reflect USA Today's leadership. Diaz called Wilson a hero before claiming, unfortunately, the split-second heroism has been turned into a PR tool by gun advocates. PR tool. I think most of us have tried to point out the fact, and I think it's fairly indisputable, is it not, that him being there and being armed and taking out the shooter within six seconds of him firing shots saved a bunch of lives. How is that turning it into a PR event? In the column, which was originally published in Arizona Central and distributed by the USA Today, Diaz wrote that Wilson, quote, is exactly the kind of man you want around with a firearm, but questioned others having his back, saying we know nothing about the at least six other parishioners who also appeared to draw their handgun, and that's terrifying. Terrifying how? Did they shoot other people? They were there to back up Mr. Wilson. As far as I know, none of them fired a shot. So we know from their actions that they weren't doing anybody any harm. Diaz admitted that Wilson saved lives with a single shot. And other gun-wielding, that's, that's a loaded term, is a gun-wielding. Yeah, these people are all wielding their guns. Other gun-wielding parishioners were ready just in case he failed, but criticized why the churchgoers were armed in the first place. They're armed to protect themselves. Unbelievable. You can't make these people understand this. It is really simple. It is really easy. This is not rocket science. This is not complicated. But you cannot make somebody who believes in getting rid of guns, you cannot make them understand, even in the face of facts. Yeah, but... Diaz says, have we really reached a point when each of us need to carry a firearm anywhere we go? Gun advocates certainly think so, Diaz says. Gun advocates didn't waste any time after the recent church incident to promote the idea of arming oneself. They're fighting back against those who had grabbed their guns is what they're doing. So if they are searching for some sort of a PR moment, I think there's they're searching for a teachable moment here. Look, for all you people who want to outlaw guns, who want to take away the Second Amendment, 
Do you see what happened here? Here's a guy, unstable guy, who's armed, who isn't going to follow laws, who is going in there, and he's going to shoot the place up. But we have people there to protect us. So unlike a lot of other churches who don't, we avoided mass killings. There are places now where, unfortunately, yeah, I think there is a general feeling that you, you, you're you going to feel a lot safer if you are armed, or at least you know that there are people there who are. I think that um, Ms. Diaz would probably be shocked to know how many churches have some sort of security measures in place. It's not just this white settlement church. No, 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 no. I can assure you there are churches here in the Houston area they have the same sort of plan. They're ready, just in case. Hoping they never have to institute it. Hoping that they never have to worry about somebody coming and trying to shoot up the church. But prepared just in case. Churches are targets right now. The controversial column concluded with Diaz declaring that the shooting, quote, isn't just about Jack Wilson's heroism, but how the trip shooter obtained a gun in the first place. Media Research Center analyst Kristen Marsh wrote that Diaz turned the parishioners who heroically drew their weapons on the shooter into victims, or villains, I should say, with the op-ed. Diaz only would concede that the man who killed the shooter was a hero because he met her standards of someone who should own a gun. USA Today did not respond for a comment. Well, I don't think they have to. They make their comments by what editorials they decide to include and what editorials they don't. So if you want to know where the management at USA Today stands, you can probably look at that. The editorial page is a great place to hide. It's a great place for the Washington Post and for the New York Times. Every now and again, they'll throw in a conservative viewpoint there just for the appearance of fairness. But generally speaking, they're going to publish the kind of editorials that they want to publish that they feel reflect their point of view. Same thing at the Cron. Same thing at what's left of papers all across America. CNN is trying to, now this is the last story of the day here. I'll see if maybe we have some more to report on this tomorrow morning on News Radio 740 KTRH. Um, there is a developing story, an unredacted, unredacted, pardon me, White House email. Where this came from, I'm not quite sure. That's been reviewed by Just Security. That says the Pentagon warned that holding military aid to Ukraine could be illegal. An official from the Office of Management and Budget made it clear that the order to place the freeze in place came directly from President Trump. The documents, including emails from officials at the Department of Defense and the Office of Management and Budget that were released under court order last month but were either partially or completely blacked out, offer new details about tensions between the two agencies tasked with carrying out the president's hold on aid to the Ukraine. They also raised questions as to why the newly revealed contents were redacted by the Trump administration in the first place, 
amid congressional oversight efforts and court orders in Freedom of Information Act litigation. All right, so they say they have a piece of paper that shows that the order came directly from Trump to withhold military aid, and that is probably illegal. There is another attempt there to bring forward new witnesses. Okay, we'll see what tomorrow brings in all this. Have a great evening. See you tomorrow morning, bright and early, 5 to 8 with Shara on News Radio 740 KTRH. And back here tomorrow afternoon at 3 on AM 950 KPRC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.